Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of Calling All Cars called Caliente Money Car Holdup. It first aired on October 10th, 1934. Calling All Cars, the copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. San Diego police calling all cars, sentencing all cars, broadcast seven. Starting a holdup and murder on the National City sites. Them wearing tan coveralls, dark glasses, and driving a black Ford Roadster without a windshield. Men in arms will be careful. That's all. Carefully as he plans his crime, there's always some detail he overlooks. 
Our job is simply to discover these mistakes and use common sense. There are always one or more clues to lead us to the criminal. The case you will now hear, for example, was carefully planned and daringly executed. But the hold-up men made plenty of mistakes. They were not smart robbers. They were stupid. All criminals are stupid. The story that follows is proof that crime cannot pay. midnight in the middle of May 1929, two shadowy figures stealthily work at the lock of the service entrance of a Ford agency in San Diego. How are you coming? Uh, none of these thieves seem to fit. That's funny. Well, here's the last one. I'll try it. Give me that hammer. What are you going to do? I'm going to bust this padlock open. Oh, you're nuts. You'll wake up the whole town. Ah, listen. We're getting in there, ain't we? And I don't care how we do it. Yeah, but maybe somebody will hear us. Well, if anybody comes snooping around, just get them while I take care of them. Go on. Give me that hammer. Mm, all right. Here you are. Swell. Here goes. that lived in the old days by the name of Alexander the Great. He found that out. When he couldn't untie a knot, he cut it with his sword. Yeah? Well, let's drop the history of that man and get into this joint. Now, give me a hand on this door. Sure there's no watchman here? I told you I cased the joint, didn't I? Yeah. Well, you heard me. There ain't no watchman. Okay. Hey, dodge that flashlight, will you? You want to invite the whole world to this party? But how can you see what you want? Ah, the street light shines right through the showroom good enough, don't it? You going to take a new car? Sure. Right off the floor. Yeah, but that's taking a chance. They can spot a new car. Not when we get through with it. I think it'd be a better idea to take one of these in your service. Ah, listen, dummy. They wouldn't be there if it was running good, would they? No. We've got to be sure we've got a good car. Finally, after two days of secret activity, they pridefully view the result of their labor. 
Hmm, that's a big difference from the shiny gray job we drove off the floor the other night, eh, Marty? Yeah. Nobody could call it a professional paint job, but it's just what we want. Mm, that rotten black paint makes it look like any number of other heaps around the town. Oh, say, listen. Don't you think we'd better put some damp rags on the headlights and radiator so they'll rot? Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, listen. The way I figure is this. That wide stretch of road along the National City Dike is the best place to pull a job. Yeah, there's not much traffic there. What time does the money car come through? Well, it leaves Caliente in time to get to the bank in town here around noon. Hmm. So it'll come along and, well, about, about 11.30. And we'll knock over Monday, see, you know, when they're bringing in the tape for the weekend. So you will have much trouble with the next job? Nah, there's only two of them. They bring the door over in a coupe. You've never been knocked over before, have you? Nah, that's why they're so careless, I guess. But if they get tough, why... We'll just bump more. Oh, gee, we don't have to do that, do we? Mike, what of it? Ain't a hundred grand worth of beef? Yeah, I guess so. But... Remember that mug Alexander? He had the right idea. Cut right through the knot. May 20th, 1929, Nemetio Monroy and J.V. Barrigo, two Mexican police officers, call at the Agua Caliente Casino for the weekend receipt. Well, here it is, boys. How much dinero we take today, boss? Almost a hundred grand. Must be the deal. A hundred thousand dollars? Oh, ho. Make nice presents for my woman to me, eh? <laughs> yeah, so it would. But don't you go walking off with that dough, or I'll beat your ears in the last year. Oh, do not worry. <laughs> By the way, how's your wife? Oh, pretty good. Will not be long now before we have another little one. Is that so? You're acquiring quite a family in the Matthew. Oh, see, see. Four already, all boys. And soon it will be five. <laughs> <laughs> the Matthew. He's raising his own army for the next revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better get started with the dough, boys. <laughs> See, muy pronto. Adios, senor. Goodbye, boys. City Dykes, Cochran, and Colson await their victims. Ignorant of their peril, they are approaching, laughing and joking as they drive through Tijuana, bumping along the dirt road to the customs gate. They pass over the line through San Isidro, non international city. Hey, it's 11 30. Maybe we missed them. Yeah, how could we? We've been here since 8 o'clock this morning. But maybe they went the other way through Chula Vista. Hey, listen, I tell you, this is the route they take. You don't think I'd go into this thing before I checked every angle, do you? Well, no. Hey, that looks like them now. Yeah. See that big coop coming down the road? Yeah. Yep. Them's the boys. All right, take that motor over. Okay. All right. Go over there and get in right behind them. Boy, oh boy, what a break this is, eh? Not another car in sight. Just like this. Keep that distance behind them while I turn their feet around them. 
hold them over all right. Hey, just a minute. Just a minute. What's the matter? This pump's got jammed. Wait till I clear it. Ah, darn it. All right, there it is. Okay, let's go. You take that side and I'll take this one. Come on. All right, boys. Hand over that dough. Caramba, what's the big idea of shooting it up? Let him have it, Lee. Let him have it. But, Marty. Right, I... Shut up. Let him have it, I say. Oh, oh, oh What's the matter, Marty? Oh, you darn fool. You didn't have to hit me, did you? I'm sorry, Marty. It could have been worse. Oh, you only got me in the arm. There's a satchel. Come on, grab it. Overalls and dark glasses and get me to a doctor. It was a crying shame to bump off those poor devils. Hey, what are you falling about? You nearly murdered me, didn't you? Oh, well, it wasn't necessary to kill those guys. They didn't have a chance. Remember that mug Alexander the Great? He turned on the heat first and talked afterwards. Kelly speaking. Yeah? Where? On the National City Dike. Yeah? Okay. Be right out. Walk up. Murder, O'Connor. Come on. Now, did any of you people see this happen? that did the shooting? Uh, well, I, I couldn't exactly tell, mister. What do you mean you couldn't tell? Didn't you see them? Well, sir, I, I did, and again, I didn't know. Well, what do you mean? Well, well sir, you, you see, when when these here now bullets started whizzing around, why, George and me, we, we just naturally hit under some tin roof until it was all over. Well, didn't you see anything? Well, I, I done saw them drive away. How many were there? Well, the, the two, that, that's all I see. What were they dressed like? Well, I don't take no particular notice. Uh, seems like they had on these here now jumper things like the garage mechanics wear. Anything else? Well, sir, let me see now. If I, if I just remember correctly, they they had on them uh, sunglasses. Did you get their license number? No, sir. I wasn't paying no notice to license number about that time. Well, what kind of a car were they in? Well, it seemed to me like it was uh, an old Ford. A Ford? What color? Well, uh, kind of dark, I guess. Uh, a black, maybe. Anything else? Well, I think that's about all I know. Anyone else see this happen? Maybe your friend George saw something else. George? Oh, no, sir. George, he didn't see nothing. Well, we want to talk to him. Where is he? George? <laughs> George, he's still hiding under that tin roof and over in the dump. Yeah, it sure is. 
Two guys dressed in jumpers and dark glasses and an old sport. Hmm. I'll find a hundred people answering that description in a half an hour. Yeah, and you won't be any closer to the right one. That's right. Detective Bureau, Sergeant Kelly speaking. Yeah? Where is he? Out. 
Well, we'll, uh, we'll come in and wait for him. You can't do that. I don't know when he'll be back. We'll come in just the same. Say, what's the big idea? Who are you? We're police officers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. See that? That buzzer don't mean anything. There's a private house, and you can't come in without a warrant. Well, we thought of that. Here's the warrant. Mm. Well, I... Come on, Kelly. Oh, I see you've got a hospital here. What's that? Look, there's a guy in bed over there in the corner. Keep your hands off that gap, mister. I got you covered. Get that automatic out of his reach, Kelly. All right. What's your name, pal? What's the matter with you? Well, you won't talk, yeah? Well, I'll take a look. What's the matter with him, Kelly? Bullet wound in his arm. Looks like our man. Who is this guy? I ain't saying nothing. Well, you're Barnes' wife, aren't you? Yeah. Well, where is he? I don't know. So he and this bird held up a money car, and he ducked out and left you to care for his pal, eh? That's a lie. Well, that's the way it looks to me. That didn't have a thing to do with no hold-up. What about this man here? Who is he? Let him tell you. Did he hold up the money car? I don't know nothing about it. Well, we'll have to arrest you, too. What for? Well, we'll book your friend here on suspicion of murder, and we'll book you on... You can't arrest me. I ain't done a thing. Looks to me like you're an accessory after the fact. At least that's the way we're going to arrest you. Hartel positively identifies the wounded man as one of the two he saw leave the Ford two days before. Police cover the town and discover the bungalow court in which an apartment was taken by Joseph Renanay, who answers the wounded man's description. However, effects discovered in the apartment identify Renanay as one Marty Colson, an ex-convict on parole, after serving part of a sentence on an arson charge committed in Los Angeles County. Papers in the apartment show that his partner is one Lee Cochran. Mrs. Barnes is the important link in the chain of suspects. Police question her closely. Now, look here, Mrs. Barnes. We've got this case just about so Yes, it isn't going to do you any good to hold out on us. Listen, I don't know anything about it. Now, that's not true, Mrs. Barnes. It is true. I don't know a thing. Now, we know that Ted wasn't in on this job. What are you trying to do, trap me? Why, of course not. You told us yourself he had nothing to do with it. And that's true, isn't it? Sure, it's true. But Marty Colson, the man you were caring for in your house yesterday, he was on the job. I don't know. How did you find out his name? Oh, never mind. And uh, Lee Cochran, his pal, was the other bandit. We know that. So, Marty Cochran, eh? Looks like it. Said he wouldn't open his mouth. Now, look here, Mrs. Barnes, you're the woman. Did you know that one of those four Mexican officers who was murdered the other day left a wife that was about to have a baby? Hmm. Is that the truth? On the level. Oh, we know Ted didn't do the job. But we want to get Cochran. We want to see some sort of justice done. We can't give that poor Mexican woman back her husband. But at least we can make Cochran pay for the penalty of his crime. Uh, if you were in that poor woman's place, and if Ted had been murdered, you'd want to see justice done now, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would. All right. You can help us. Oh, we want Cochran. Where did he go? Well, I think he went up to L.A. He and Ted. Oh, I mean he... Oh, so Ted is with him, huh? Listen, you said you wanted Cochran. I ain't talking about Ted. I've got constitutional rights. You can't make me testify against my husband.
Brandon Barnes, the sheriff's office of Los Angeles County, takes the two men into custody within 24 hours. For more than two months, while they were awaiting trial and all through the courtroom proceedings, Colson refused to talk. He makes the communications that are necessary in writing. But from the moment of his arrest to the moment when he stands before the judge to receive his sentence, Silent Martyr, as he has come to be called, has never uttered a word. Martin Colson, Lee Cochran, you've heard the jury's verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree. Before I sentence you, have you anything to say? Nothing to say. I suppose it is useless to ask you, Martin Colson, if you want to break the silence you've obstinately maintained throughout the trial. No, Judge. I have got something to say. Before you sentence me, I've got something important to say, Your Honor. I want to die. I want to pay my debt to society. Let me go, Judge. I'm the one you want. I planned the whole thing. Hang me, Judge, and let my partner go. But Colson's magnanimous offer is refused, and he and Cochran are both sentenced to life imprisonment in Folsom Prison. Ted Barnes is sentenced to a year in the county jail as an accomplice after the fact. In Folsom, Martin Colson retains his grim silence, only rarely talking to his fellow prisoners. His nickname of Silent Marty follows him behind the grim gray walls of the northern prison. Desperate, morbidly brooding, Colson determines to beat the raft. For months, he works secretly on a crude diving apparatus, and then one day he attempts to escape through the powerhouse water intake pipe into the prison moat. But his apparatus fails to function, and he is dragged from the moat half drowned. There's a hitch in solitary for his attempted break. But as soon as he's back in the cell block, he and his cellmate set about fashioning two pistols from the bits of metal they conceal in the machine shop. Then, on the morning of February 27, 1933, as the men are marching to their daily task. Yes, it's important. 
Please, All right, hurry. that's enough, that's enough. You don't have to cry over the telephone. Don't touch that board. It's hot, I say. Now get into that other room. The warden comes. Yeah. This guy here nearly took the off. But it's okay. The warden tried to call back. But he doesn't get an answer. He'll think that guy's awful sick and he'll be down on the double. Good. Then he'll listen to what? He'll hand over the keys and give us a safe conduct out of this hole. Yeah, yeah. He ain't got no guts. Warden's never have. Yeah. But strong guys like us. Yeah. Like that Alexander mug that gets places in this world. Yeah. You bet I'm telling you, pal. Because... Never get me. Okay, okay, you win. Where's your boss? He's white. I guess he shot himself. He said you'd never get him. He and he was a swell guy, too. Lots of education. Say, do any of you guys know who this mug Alexander is he was always talking about? Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night, 
for the Rio Grande Oil Company. Calling All Cars is a classic early police drama. The show portrayed true crime stories of the Los Angeles Police Department from the 1930s. This is one of the earlier old-time radio programs, earling from 1933 to 1939. Calling All Cars was one of the first, if not the first, police procedural, setting the stage for such later hits like Dragnet and Precinct 21. The show focused on the daily grind of police work rather than a detective getting a wild hunch that just so happens to be correct. Above all, the show went for authenticity. The producers even went so far as to not just tell true stories, but have the actual policemen tell those stories. That's right, they used real policemen, not actors, to introduce their stories. In some ways, having real policemen introduce their stories is terrific, but to be honest, professional radio actors can, can portray policemen better than real policemen can. Actors got their jobs because they understand building tension, clear enunciation, timing, and, well, acting. Whereas true policemen didn't get their jobs because of any of those traits. But still, having the real policemen star in their own stories is a great way to tell a story. The show did utilize professional actors as the narrator and to dramatize the stories. The narrator of the program was Charles Frederick Lindsley. Also appearing throughout the run was real-life LAPD dispatcher Jesse Rosenquist, who became a small-time celebrity with his phrase, That is all. So, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. That is all.